Beyond the Codes. What sets German coaching apart? By Jonathan Harding. Available from oakleybooks.co.uk and from Amazon. Chapter 8. Reife. Maturity. To be a coach is no different to how I am as a human. Daniel Nikowski. Having briefly met him at the coaching academy, watched him coach a scoring in the red zone session at the ITK in Bochum, and seen him from afar as he helped Germany's under-21s win the 2017 European Championships, I was keen to finally sit down with Daniel Nikowski. The 41-year-old has a smart haircut, a firm handshake, and a notable calmness when I meet him outside a beer garden in Cologne for an afternoon coffee. As a player, he never made it beyond Germany's third division, mostly with MSV Duisburg's reserves, but he has achieved far greater success with his work off the pitch. Nikowski studied at the Sports University in Cologne, quickly got his A license, and after three years in Atlanta, in America, he returned to Germany. Frank Chan, director of coaching education at the grassroots level for the USSF, the United States Soccer Federation, a contact Daniel made during his time in the US, nudged Nikowski towards coaching. Upon his return from the US, Nikowski, aged just 26, was playing, coaching youth teams, and educating local coaches. By the age of 30, the DFB picked him up, and he became a colleague of Frank Vollmitz, gradually taking on more and more responsibility and getting his own Fußballlehrer. In 2013, he became assistant coach at Bayer Leverkusen, but after three years, Nikowski returned to the DFB to become an instructor on the Fußballlehrer course, eventually taking over from Frank Vollmuth as chief instructor in the spring of 2018. He is also assistant coach for Germany's under-21s. In short, Nikowski's life is a football one. Such is the quality of his language skills, Nikowski asks me whether I want to talk in English or in German. We stick to German. After all, as Löw and Vormut discovered in Turkey, you can't connect to the soul of the player unless you speak the language. As a job, I've never done anything other than football, Nikowski tells me. But to focus on that and that alone is something you've got to decide to do first. And getting into football can happen, but even then there's lots of luck. Interest is high, there's plenty of money to earn, and there's a certain level of prestige involved. There are a number of reasons for people to try it, but they're not it for me, Nikowski adds, before admitting he committed to a career in football. Given his relatively young age for someone working as a football coach, as well as his unique experience in the Bundesliga dugout and Germany's coaching academy, I'm keen to hear why Nikowski left the top flight and how he feels a modern coach should handle a modern player. Most of all, I'm keen to hear how he feels the coaching landscape has changed over the years, because he is one of the men responsible for making sure Germany's coaching quality takes that change in its stride. Stress resistance is pivotal, Nikowski replies. If you don't have that, coaching the professional game is not for you. Your place is probably more in youth football, where external pressure exists but is considerably lower. At Leverkusen, with league and European games, stress was extreme at times. That, besides seeing a very interesting set of opportunities, was one of the reasons why, after three consecutive years, at that pace, I went back to the DFB. 
It's not that I don't want to work in the Bundesliga. I can imagine doing it again. But I needed a break to come down from the adrenaline. Despite the fascination of the pro game, you need to be very aware of the load and make wise decisions to conserve your mental and physical resources, Mikowski says, in a voice that he raises only once during our time together and then only to laugh at the punchline of a joke. The son of Solingen in North Rhine-Westphalia worked under Sami Hoppier, Sasha Lewandowski and Roger Schmidt during his time at Leverkusen, experiencing three drastically different types of coaches. The stress level remained high, and handling that was pivotal to his ability to do his job. It was also a timely reminder that a football life must include non-football aspects. I have things other than football that I enjoy, says Nikowski, who used to be in a band in his younger years. I think not having any is also a danger for players and coaches. If you only have football, then your entire well-being is dependent on football. If the football is crap, then there's no chance of improving your mood. If you have other interests, then you can take a step to the side and say, for example, now I'm going to focus on music and play some guitar. You can then focus on that fully and your thoughts are elsewhere. That's so important to have. I didn't always manage it while I was at Leverkusen. If the peaks happen too quickly one after the other, then it's not possible. Game after game, travelling. My friend Frank Chan, who coaches in America, would say, you're burning the candle at both ends. Nikowski tells me the move back to the DFB was partly a move away from that stress. And while his job still includes working under pressure, it's not as great as it was at a Bundesliga club. For a Bundesliga coach, at the heart of stress is criticism and personal attacks. That's the toughest. Workload is manageable, but external pressure is enormous. There are different ways of handling it. Former professional players who become head coaches are used to it. They know of external pressure, which is to their advantage, and probably why they have developed ways to deal with it over the years. The coaches who weren't players need to adapt and develop their method of coping. For all of them, family will likely be one. Personal disposition is important. If you don't have that, you'll burn out. Burnout continues to be a fear of many, as we discussed in Chapter 3, and not just in football. Genuine time off is what head coaches need, but as coaches are given such little time to deliver results, balance isn't always easy to find. Nikowski continues, I heard Arsene Wenger say once that the most important thing in management is to stay optimistic. I think it's an extremely important personality trait to have, to stay cool under pressure and to transmit confidence. Of course, behind that lies deep knowledge of the game and a plan of how to solve situations, but it's a mix of knowledge and social competence. It's here that Nikowski refers to the eight-level structure of competence that Frank Vormuth told me about in Chapter 2. That structure incorporates your coaching abilities with your coaching style and while it isn't the academy's job to make personalities, developing the person is as much a part of becoming a fußballera as being tactically flexible. Like most associations in Europe, Germany also has a mentoring scheme which gives coaches feedback on their genuine relationships with players. You can give the coach feedback about how he spoke to players and how they might feel, but their leadership on the course is difficult to evaluate. We can talk about it in theory, and give them best-case examples, but it's always a bit abstract. That's why we've added mentoring into the coaching course, 
where we travel to the coaches at the clubs. The idea is to observe the coach at his club with his players. The relationship you form with a group you work with every day is different to one you work with once a week. The desire is there, but it's difficult to put into practice, Nikovsky tells me. Nurturing coaching quality further down the line is one thing, but identifying quality coaching on the Fußballera course is another. In some cases, it's clear what's right and what's wrong. The regularity of praise and criticism, for example. But there are also examples where it's not so clear-cut. Is the coach a kumpeltub, a buddy type, or are they more reserved? They can be either, but they need the right tools to make it work. Christoph Daum told us that he takes notes meticulously after every meeting he has with a player, noting the topic and what the mood and understanding was at the end of the conversation, and whether there was a specific aim to the conversation. I really like this approach, and would definitely advise this to any coach who is naturally distant, Nikovsky says. Write it down. You'll notice how often you speak to players, and whether you've not spoken to someone in a long time. And contact is pivotal. Players need that. They're focused on their own situation. They want to be taken seriously and appreciated. If you have that contact with them, you can develop it and help players through difficult situations. Sometimes, it almost doesn't matter what the topic is, as long as you connect, Nikovsky has. Internal promotion of coaches has become the trend in Germany, and it hasn't stopped at the coaching position. Bayer Leverkusen's Jonas Bolt told Rory Smith of the New York Times that he rose from intern to sporting director. Bolt now gives people the same chance he was given 15 years ago. We can open the door, that's all, the 36-year-old told Smith. Leverkusen have done more than open a door, though. They have expanded a culture. Just as a coach can benefit from an extended time at the club before being appointed head coach of the first team, so a future scout or sporting director can benefit from working their way up rather than just arriving. This is not only smart business, but also smart thinking, because it opens itself up to a world of talent that is otherwise often met by a closed door. Granted, this approach isn't always the answer, but it never ceases to amaze me how often in football and business, expertise is not considered to be a commodity found internally. Experts are always welcomed in, often paid vast sums of money to provide answers that seemingly cannot be found inside the current group. While looking abroad is hugely beneficial, remember chapter 6, perhaps sometimes we could benefit from looking closer to home. Attention is given to a coach who was successful under certain circumstances and sometimes he's hired by the next club because of the success, but without considering the circumstances, Nikovsky says. So you have to try to recreate those circumstances at the new club, and not enough thought is being put into that. That's why clubs like Hoffenheim, Werder Bremen and Mainz develop their own coaches. The clubs knew these coaches' strengths and weaknesses firsthand, and so there were fewer surprises, whereas if you get an external coach, you can only assess them from the outside looking in. You don't know how good the fit is. Producing your own coach makes sense, but of course it isn't always an option, especially not for the top clubs who need established personalities who have proven themselves at the highest level. Fast forward to today and that's exactly what clubs are doing. It's also why Daum and coaches of his era struggle to get jobs at home. The Bundesliga has become a league of development and forethought. The league is battling to be relevant but it's already unique in so many ways, and the coaching developments are just one aspect of that. Interestingly enough, Nidkowski adds that he believes England has taken a huge step forwards in coaching recently by adopting a similar policy. 
They've got very few meetings for which coaches come to the association, but the association goes to the clubs and develops coaches there. They focus very heavily on this mentoring concept. I think that's an excellent opportunity, but it's also possible because the Premier League is investing an enormous amount of money into coach education. That wouldn't be possible financially in Germany at the moment. When Germany won the 2014 World Cup, it was the culmination of a plan that began when the country pressed the reset button back in 2000, as Raphael Hernigstein outlines in his excellent book, Das Reboot. The world was impressed with the number of players Germany kept producing, as the academies kept delivering. While on a different scale, and with varying levels of success, German coaches are also many in number. Look a bit closer, and the young coach trend is built on compelling evidence. They are different people, Nikowski says, but there are similarities between the pathways of these young coaches. One is that they didn't have a great long playing career, but got into coaching very early. They have lots of experience by the time they get to a professional team. Pro level is something different, with different challenges and personalities to contend with, but this experience as a coach is extremely valuable. Manuel Baum was Augsburg's youth coach before he was promoted to head coach, and prior to that he had been a head coach at third division side Unterhaching. Domenico Tedesco was in charge of Etzkebega Auer before being given the Schalke job, but his coaching career began at youth level with Hoffenheim and Stuttgart. Coaching in the under-19 Bundesliga is as close to the professional level as coaching in the fourth division, maybe even the third. They've been able to coach without as much pressure, which has enabled them to try themselves out and thereby develop themselves, Nikowski says. With the project of young coaches in the first-team jobs now very much in full flow in Germany, Nikowski is happy that German coaches are doing well, but remains wary of the perception of that success. On the one hand, it's great that we have so many young coaches, but the big danger is that every under-12 coach thinks, in four years, I can be a pro head coach. How do I get there? I have to be successful with my team. If young coaches start to focus too much on their own success, then their work will very often contradict the idea of talent development. This was something raised at the 2018 ITK in Dresden. The fear is that youth coaches are not only too often ambitious to coach at a higher level, but that financially incentivizing them to stay as coaches at a lower level is too great a challenge, even if that level is the right place for them. There is a conversation happening at the moment about splitting the Fußballlehrer to accommodate youth and elite level coaching. There are lots of clubs that have a youth head coach who works with the coaches. So while the head coach is developing their players, the youth head coach works with the head coach to help them improve. That's key, says Nikowski. However, Nikowski argues that success only tells half the story. It's important to remember that not all coaches can be successful. If we have lots of young head coaches in the Bundesliga, then there will be successful young coaches and unsuccessful young coaches. Being young isn't a sign of quality. Age is just a number. It doesn't mean they're a better coach. Here, he recalls something I mentioned when we first sat down, namely that I wanted to try and understand the person behind the coach and the player. What happens when the person, not the coach or the player, is forgotten? That happens quickly if you think tactics are the key to everything. It might work so long as you're winning, but it doesn't help in a crisis. In a crisis, you have to get close to the person, but it's hard to get close to the person in a crisis, so you have to get close to them when things are going well. The person 
is the key. Everything tactical should be a given, but it has been given extra focus lately. Just look at the load of tactics blogs out there. It's great that people are interested in that, but the tactical side of the game isn't as important as it's being made out to be, Nikovsky says. Domenico Tedesco gave an interview to Germany's biggest football tactics website, Spielverlagerung, towards the end of 2017. It was the website's first interview with the current Bundesliga head coach, a sign of the rise in interest, Nikovsky mentions. In that interview, Tedesco spoke in detail about his tactical philosophy and why tactics were so important and how he conveys that to his players. The then 32-year-old talked about developing a discussion when it came to understanding the tactical approach, so it was less instructive and more of an exchange. Clearly, Tedesco has the knowledge he needs, and while the focus of the site is to understand his and others' tactical approaches, what makes him a good coach is how he applies that knowledge. As discussed in Chapter 3, at the time of the 2017 ITK in Bochum, there were 890 qualified Fußballlehrer in Germany, but just 56 jobs in the top three leagues. And on average, a Bundesliga coach spent just 1.2 years in the role. All Fußballlehrer have detailed tactical knowledge, however it is the application of that knowledge which separates the best from the rest, enabling them to secure one of those 56 jobs and hold on to it for longer than just 1.2 years. In an exclusive interview with Sky Sports in Germany in November 2017, Tedesco's discussion of what makes beautiful football gave an insight into how he delivers his knowledge. What is beauty? he asked. One person likes blondes, the next black hair, brunettes or red hair, I don't know. But it's the same in football. We try to play the ball out from the back. We hardly play any long balls, and if so, then they are considered ones. It's about space and superior numbers. For some, long balls and action in and around the box are pretty. For others, possession or transition might be pretty. We can't rely on the viewer. We have to rely on our qualities, our players. They have to take things into consideration. The players have to play what they want to and where their strengths are. So beauty is nice and we target that, but it's important to put the strengths of your players first in order to win games. And if we can be ugly, then that's also a quality. How a head coach gets the best out of his players is down to his soft skills, his character and his competence as discussed in Chapter 2. It is down to the type of person he is, because that is how he knows when to apply different parts of his knowledge, what to say to a player short of confidence, or how to raise the collective morale of the team. That is what makes Germany such an exciting country for the development of head coaches. The change in attitude that started with Klopp was a change towards a highly educated generation of coaches who got the chance to develop their personal competences and gain experience. In Germany, we're very subject-focused, which is why there's lots of talk about tactical improvement and how best to train. And the rest will follow, somehow, says Nikovsky. It's not that simple, though, because people don't work that way, especially not if they are from a different cultural context. They'll do it, but they want a relationship with me as coach. I think this is something that Germany has lots of room to improve in. The growth in tactical variety has led to many young German coaches portraying an extremely studious nature. But does that limit them from making the personal connection that, evidently, is a key part of a coach's success? Young coaches are very interested in the subject matter, but that personal connection comes with personal maturity and a certain distance to the player. If the coach is the same age as me, then it's hard for me to regulate a personal level. If they're older, they can take on a more senior, almost fatherly role. For a very young coach, this is quite hard. 
There are some young coaches, however, who are proving that age can be compensated for, Mikowski says. In a 2016 interview with Bavarian free weekly newspaper Wochenblatt, 26-year-old coach Sebastian Dreyer admitted he saw himself less as a father and more as a brother who could help players take the next step. Pivotally, though, he too is taking the next step. After coaching at youth level at Bayern Munich and Unterhaching, Dreyer was named head coach of Mainz's under-15s for the 2018-19 season. At the same time, he is a member of the 2018 Fußballlehrer class. As Dreyer told Wochenblatt, today, 15 years as a pro isn't enough to become a head coach. It's a job you have to learn, as the example of Thomas Tuchel shows. At Mainz, a club with a reputation for developing young coaches, Dreyer stands an excellent chance of doing just that, and perhaps becoming yet another star in Germany's coaching pipeline. The fact Germany has so many young coaches is in part linked to the fact they have so many young players. Mikowski knows this. He has been one of those players, and is now one of those coaches. We have lots of players who have come out of academies, and coaches who worked in those academies know academy-type players. That's why they can work so well with them. Sometimes, coaches even work with players they know from under-19 teams, which can be an advantage both for the coach and for the player. So what has changed for Niedkowski, both in terms of coaching coaches and coaching players? Coaches come to us now with far more subject-specific knowledge than they did nine years ago, when I was first here. The depth of knowledge in terms of tactics and physiology is much greater. A lot of the course they're familiar with because someone, either at their club or a friend, has already told them the terms and concepts. In football theory, you start to work at a much higher level much sooner. While clubs have changed their approach to encourage internal coaching development, there are also external factors that contribute to a country's coaching trends. Pep Guardiola's arrival in Germany took the thought process about tactical focus with the ball to another level, Nikowski says. The perception of the considerations you can have before a game and the adjustments you can make changed. Before, no one changed their formation three times in a game, at least not that I know of. Whether it's good or not, and whether you can do it with every team, are other questions, but the understanding that it is a viable option for a coach, and even part of the coach's job, is far greater. In recent years, the image of German football has largely been moulded around the pressing game, thanks in no small part to Klopp and his Dortmund team. Others have taken the focus on pressing to extreme levels, in particular Roger Schmidt, Ralf Ranić, and Ralf Hasenhutl, and that has changed how coaches on the Fußballlehrer course prepare. Not as much thought was put into it in the past, Nikowski says. More attention was given to fitness and motivation. If it didn't work, then you simply had to do more. I don't mean that negatively, but the tactical knowledge of coaches and players has grown. Also, technical developments have made some tactics possible, Possession play requires players with great technical abilities and spatial awareness, and high pressing over 90 minutes demands outstanding and specific fitness. Nikowski argues Guardiola's possession-based philosophy also impacted the game in Germany. Thomas Tuchel, who coached a different way at Mainz, adopted a similar approach with Dortmund. Julian Nagelsmann's team has a clear style to it. With the evolution of players and tactics, the game and how to coach it has also developed. On the one hand, coaches who focus on defensive and transition strategies are very interesting. The game is more varied and more thought goes into it now than 10 years ago, Nikowski tells me. A decade is a long time for anything to develop, and while it might be tempting to think that not working in a Bundesliga dugout leaves Nikowski out of touch, it would also be wrong. 
As assistant coach of Germany's under-21s, he works with some of the most talented youngsters the country has. He is heavily involved in the training of those players and is fully aware of what they need and how they are different to the players of the past. What has changed is that with professionals, you can't achieve anything through pressure anymore. Salaries are skyrocketing, social media has changed the placement of information, and with that, players have become very powerful. It's very difficult to connect with a player by pressuring him, because that pressure goes nowhere, Nikovsky tells me. The player might want to play at your club, but he knows that if things don't go well for him here, his agent can find clubs where he can earn just as much. The player isn't as connected to or dependent on the club anymore. Every player is generally available at any given time. And the player knows that, so you can't control them through pressure. You have to convince them. And you achieve this by giving the player the feeling that you are developing them into a better player and that they are a part of the team's success. Convincing players instead of pressuring them is perhaps the biggest change, Nikovsky says. The idea of old-school management, shouting when things are bad and saying nothing when things are going well, doesn't work with modern players. There are simply too many factors at play. At the professional level, agents and endless financial possibilities have shifted power to the point where coaching must also adapt. Coaching must accommodate and consider the plethora of external factors now surrounding every individual. If it doesn't, success will remain beyond reach. Why? Because it's the human first, then the footballer. This also changes the human components of coaching, Nikovsky continues. You can't insult a player like you could 20 years ago. The player will then think or say, be careful, I earn 2 million euros, I never have to work again. If you say that to me again, I'm gone. The interaction with a player now must be about building trust, giving them feedback and staying in regular contact. That being said, I think players want tough love sometimes. They want to be pushed to their limit, Nikovsky tells me. Being pushed is what the player wants, but not the club. Nevertheless, the factors Nikovsky mentions, skyrocketing salaries, the tangle of social media webs, mean that the club is often the one being pushed to and beyond its limits. And it's worth remembering, it wasn't always like this, as one coach told me. When I worked in youth football, if an agent came up to me and said they weren't happy, I told them to pack their players' bags. I had a player once who stood still whenever he lost the ball. I told him, if you lose the ball and you stand still, I'll take you off. Every time he did, I took him off. And then all of a sudden, I wasn't the right coach for him. The player left to join one of the biggest teams in Europe, with the expectation he would play in the first team. He ended up in the third team. Fast forward to the present day, and it is evident what has evolved. Speaking to Kicker in January 2018, Niko Kovac, who was Eintracht Frankfurt head coach at the time, said he felt the pressure was approaching dangerous levels. Where does it end? In anarchy. Everyone will do what they want. Players will come to training if and when they want to. Where is the responsibility gone? Where is the contract that counts? In the past, the spoken word was valid. These days, a five-year contract means as little as a half-year contract. It's alarming. It takes a special coach and team to handle this situation well. The example of Ingolstadt in the Bundesliga shows just the tip of the iceberg. Two players behave badly because they wanted to force a move, says Nikovsky. The team said, that's not on, they can't train with us. Your relationship with individual players must be a close one. Then they will help you regulate the team. You have to be clever with your leadership. Players look at how a coach responds to a crisis. Will they be cool or will they be aggressive? That tells the player a great deal about their head coach. But it also gives them a look into their future. 
For the coach, it can be the moment where they can win or lose a group. It's not about whether you've got the perfect plan for the weekend. It is about that to an extent, of course, but first of all, it's about how you react as a person and how you treat the players. You can't ever forget that. That will always be the key, Nikovsky tells me. There are even moments during a game when a coach must remember the individual needs of a player, which can sometimes have a greater impact on a result than the right tactical setup. When a player has a chance in a game and misses it, lots of players look straight at the head coach, Nikovsky says. This seems obvious, but it is remarkable when you look out for how many players do look to the sidelines for a response. Goal or not, you know in that moment the player needs the attention of the coach. He needs the coach's reaction to tell him, no problem, keep going. Then you have other players who don't care. They just want to make sure the next chance goes in. Those players don't need that much attention as they sense the coach's trust merely through being in the starting lineup. Whether they are good leaders or not, head coaches are sacked more often than anyone else in football, which leaves me pondering the same question. Can one man really do this job, let alone be held accountable for it? So many people contribute to success on Saturday afternoon that to make one responsible for it seems incomprehensible. It's just easier to change the head coach. If the problem lies in the team, then you can try and get rid of three or four players, but then you have to find replacements who have the same sporting quality. If you need a quick solution, that's much tougher than finding one man. Of course, it's a case of troubleshooting. If it doesn't work, then have you tried turning it off and back on? That's the first reflex, Nikovsky says with a smile. But he believes there isn't any real difference in terms of subsequent success between firing a head coach in a crisis and keeping one. St. Pauli was an extreme example. They stuck with Evert Linian and then had an amazing second half of the season. Linian is one of Germany's great football characters and made 330 Bundesliga appearances for the likes of Borussia Mönchengladbach, Arminia Bielefeld and Duisburg during the 70s and 80s. As well as winning the 1979 UEFA Cup with Gladbach, a run that saw Linian score in the quarterfinals against Manchester City, the player is also known for being the man in one of the Bundesliga's most iconic photos. In only the second game of the 1981-82 season, Werder Bremen's Norbert Siegmann jumped into a tackle in order to rob Linian, playing for Bielefeld, of possession. Instead, he slipped open a near 10-inch gash on Linian's thigh, exposing muscle and bone. Linian was playing again within four weeks, but the foul remains one of the Bundesliga's most infamous moments. After his playing career, Linian coached in Spain, Greece, Belgium and Germany. The run of form Nikovsky is referring to came in the 2016-17 season when second division side St. Pauli picked up just 11 points from their first 17 games. However, Linian was kept on and they finished the season in seventh after a superb second half of the season saw them lose just three of the remaining 17 games. If there's no success, then everyone expects the conversation about their head coach to arise, Nikovsky says. That means others are out of the firing line because players know the first thing that will happen will be the head coach will be dismissed. When a new coach comes in, players know they have to give it 100% again because nobody is established anymore and everyone has a new chance. And that's why, at the start, there's an increase in performance. Those who have played before have to prove themselves again and the players who were further down the pecking order now have a new chance. Without the head coach having done anything, the conditions are already more in his favour than before. But if the coach says the current coach is staying whatever happens, then everyone else can't hope the problem will be solved for them. They have to re-engage themselves with a new situation, 
I think in that moment where St. Pauli said, no, Ligne will remain our head coach whatever happens, then things got better. It seems a remarkably simple thought, but how often has it been heeded? It only makes sense to sack the head coach when they are really to blame, not just when results aren't ideal. Nikowski remains calm about his future. The wait-and-see-what-happens approach has served him well. There's no need to change that now. At the time of our meeting, he told me he could imagine a return to a Bundesliga dugout at some point, but he wasn't sure whether he was ready to step into the limelight as the front man just yet. Chief instructor at Germany's coaching academy, age 41, isn't a bad place to be. We talk for another hour after I finish asking questions, and I leave with little doubt in my mind about the advanced state of modern coaching for coaches in Germany, and not just in terms of the subject matter either. I also leave believing that Daniel Nukowski will one day be a head coach. He has all the technical knowledge, but perhaps even more importantly, he understands the importance of developing the person behind the coach and the player. He is a man of principle, who understands the nuances of a modern footballer. He is empathetic, something he is proud of, despite believing it is often seen as a weakness in the public eye. The 41-year-old's playing philosophy is built around control, applying pressure and handling space. He believes if head coaches are to succeed, they must overcome swamps where energy is lost and things trickle away in order to build a winning environment. To be a coach is no different to how I am as a human, says Nikowski. As a human, I want people to appreciate me, not to like me in every moment because they won't like every decision, but generally say he's an honest guy who is respectful and behaves properly. Those are the values that are more important to me than whether I'm seen in the best light. To stop the ego inflating beyond manageable or respectful proportions is one of the greatest hidden battles any famous person, let alone a head coach, will fight. Maturity is key. As the early 20th century Austrian poet Rainer Maria Rilke stated in his Letters to a Young Poet, Only someone who is ready for everything, who doesn't exclude any experience, even the most incomprehensible, will live the relationship with another person as something alive, and will himself sound the depths of his own being. Sophistication in young coaches allows them to use the depths of their knowledge and wisdom to manage their players. Like Rilke, their maturity makes them bold enough to take on any challenge, even ones they may not initially understand. It allows them to recognize the value of every experience, but to understand that experience is a thirst that can never be quenched. Most of all, it allows them to recognize how relationships with their players are living things that need caring for. Chapter 8. Key Lesson The lesson that stood out from speaking to Daniel Nikowski was the complexity of pressure, something applicable to all aspects of life, not just football. Firstly, understanding and dealing with the pressure put on your shoulders as a coach, as a leader, is pivotal. For young coaches, maturity is a necessary part of that understanding. Secondly, recognizing the appropriate methods and levels of pressure to apply and when. Thirdly, and most intriguingly, appreciating that the power of players compared to a decade ago has evolved to a level that forces a new type of coaching to combat a new pressure. The combination of handling these three is immensely difficult. Mensch, Beyond the Cones, is available from ockleybooks.co.uk and from Amazon. <laughs>